Welcome to the Panza Panza Forum. In the Yoruba language, the word panza is usually injected into poetry to express an uncomfortable, uncensored and inconvenient truth. The Panza Panza Forum is candid conversations about the life of African immigrants in America as it relates to their adaptation to their new home. While some may find it easy to integrate and can balance between retaining the original African culture while accepting the culture of their new home, many continue to struggle to find a balance between both worlds. Hello and welcome to Panza Panza Live. This is a podcast where we discuss the lives of African immigrants and their assimilation into Western society as they raise younger generations in a country that is quite different from their own. We also explore the experiences of children of immigrants as they balance the African and Western cultures. We present to you this informative, interesting, and expansive dialogue about the intricate experiences of African immigrants in America. Welcome to Pansa Pansa Live Podcast. I'm your host, Kemi and today I'm having a conversation with Blessing Kayode, the founder and the director of Yoruba Lesson. I came across your impressive YouTube Yoruba Lesson, and I found it very remarkable that you, a younger generation in the diaspora, are actually taking a pride in our language and our culture, and I'm so happy I'm proud of what you've been doing. I went on your website. I was so impressed by what you're doing. So welcome to Pansa Pansa Blessing. I really appreciate you coming on this platform to have conversation with me. So as I always tell many of my guests, can you fully introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your background as to our audience, as to where you were born, where you spend most of your childhood and adult life. Thank you so much for having me, Ma. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, my name is Blessing or Ibuku Kayode. And <laughs> I was born in Nigeria and Ibadan to be precise. And I stayed there till I was about two. Then I moved to Ilori for another four years with my grandparents. And then when I was six, my parents brought me to England. And I've been in England ever since, up until 2018, when I went back to Nigeria for law school, because I just wanted to know what it was like to live in Nigeria. And I didn't know anyone there. I didn't have any friends. I just said, I'm going. (laughs) I jumped on a plane. Yeah. (laughs) My mom was like, Mm, I don't know about that one (laughs) but I was like I want to do it and I wanted to qualify so I went there it was good I was there for a year and a half then I came back in the end of 2019 and yeah that's kind of my story kind of growing up Wow. <laughs> the Lori and the Bado that you mentioned is actually my own ancestral heritage Jew from oh, my wow. mother's side. My mother is from Ibadan <laughs> and grandmother also connected with the Lori. So that shows the connection right there. <laughs> and I always tell people, people think uh, the Yoruba language is the same. And I said the dialects is okay. quite different. The way in Lori we speak Yoruba is different from <laughs> the way Ibadan we speak Yoruba. Ijebu mm-hmm. has a different way of speaking Yoruba. Then you yeah. also go to Ondo. <laughs> completely different. I don't even completely know when different. they are talking, whether it's, you know, it's another language in itself, but we're all Yoruba. So before we get into the conversation about Yoruba lesson and the amazing work you are doing, teaching rich culture and the language to the world, I would like to explore your view on identity as an African living in the diaspora. From African immigrants in U.S., 
Black identity, African immigrant struggle, how we navigate through the racialized world is one of the experiences that is very challenging to us. So I've always interested in having conversation with Africans in the Europe about their struggle in navigating through the European system as Africans. So what would you say to that? It's very layered because I think sometimes the home in which you grow up in can also affect how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, like I have a lot of friends who are in the same position as me. They were born in Nigeria, but they left at a very young age. Yes. Um, or they were born here, but their parents are missing Nigerian. And a lot of them will say, if you ask them, where are you from? Or what's your heritage? I'm British. You know, that's their first go-to. You really have to push to find out, okay, you're Nigerian. Yes. Whereas for someone like me, maybe because my parents were very, they had a very big Nigerian culture in the house. Mm-hmm. I listen to Nigerian music. I would eat Nigerian food. In my head, I'm first of all Nigerian before I would say I'm British. So even though I, I've lived here most of my life, I see myself as Nigerian first, British second, or at least more of a balance. But a lot of my friends see themselves as British first, and then they'll say my parents are Nigerian. So I think it might be because of maybe your home can be more British, if if that makes sense. Or your home can be more Nigerian based on how your parents are, what kind of food they like, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of stuff. So I would say it's it's very difficult. And I understand when people feel that they're Nigerian, because some people say, I have no connections to Nigeria. I've never been there or I've only been there once. I don't feel comfortable saying I'm just Nigerian. Mm -hmm. So I understand that for them as well. I think it when I was younger, being Nigerian was not cool. Nobody wanted to be Nigerian. Everybody wanted to be Jamaican. So everyone would, <laughs> exactly. Everyone would say oh, they're Jamaican uh, or like they'll be putting on accents. If you were Nigerian, they used to call us, you know, stuff like African beauty scratcher. They'll just call you weird names or go back to your country. So a lot of people growing up being Nigerian wasn't cool. And so as you grow up, you kind of subconsciously maybe hold on to that. And you don't really want to make it your identity. You just want to be, oh, I'm just a black person. I'm black British. You know? So I think that's kind of what I would oh, say my wow. experience is. Wow. And that is so sad. And that comes in terms of the children not actually embracing their culture, which you quite write about the parents not focusing on teaching about the culture, even though the language might be very difficult in terms of teaching the children the language and all that stuff, but in terms of understanding the essence of where they come from, because I'm a parent here too, and I have two children, and I've said it on this podcast, when my children were growing up, and my son now is uh, 26, my daughter is 23, when they were growing up, I brought in Yoruba culture into the school. I do African folk tale storytelling. That's how my storytelling talent was developed. You know, because I said, even though they were born here, I don't want them to be ashamed of their African heritage. To the extent when they mention Africa, they have to feel like they have to hide under the table without being proud of who they are. So every year during the Black History Month, I used to go inside their classroom and I bring in figurines, statue, and, you know, I do African folk style, you know, the Yoruba folk style. And I bought a book that guided me into a day in the life of an African child. Back home, everyday activities, and I show them the picture. And you will be so amazed how these children gravitate towards that. And they say, wow, this is so amazing that children are so free to create their own game instead of buying toys for them. 
Okay, yeah. they use every equipment, everything that they find in their neighborhood to create something very motivating to play games, to engage each other. And they found that yeah. very creative. So I really understand that. And we have to do a better job because I think this also comes from uh, colonization that has brainwashed so many Africans from generation to generation. I believe when you were home, did you find some people who only speak English and they don't speak their language? A hundred percent. A lot of my friends that live in Lagos, they can't speak Yoruba. And they are, you know, they live in Lagos. They are Yoruba. Their friends are Yoruba. And they, they can't speak it at all. Actually, almost all of them. <laughs> but I noticed maybe like my Igbo friends, they speak Igbo, but yeah. Yoruba especially. No. That's really interesting. So how do you identify yourself now? Do you call yourself Nigerian British? Yes, I would say I'm Black British. And then if you ask me where I'm from, I'd say I'm Nigerian. Okay. Okay. So you're able to break that down so that it's not you being recognized as a Jamaican instead of uh, (laughs) in Nigeria, you could break that and say, actually, I'm you. What would you say are some of the challenges and struggle of being the first generation African child growing up in England? One of my nephew that I adopted in America here is a professor. He said he calls uh, those who were brought to America or Europe at a very young age, one and a half. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so what would you say are some of the struggle or the challenges of being first generation child of African immigrant child growing up in Europe? Um, I'd say it's probably more like mindset. I think when me and my parents, we speak a lot, we just have different mindsets because obviously when you grow up here, you, you have like kind of like a British mindset or an American mindset Mm -hmm. but your parents have Nigerian mindsets and I think I can understand where they're coming from because I still watch your movies and stuff but like my youngest sister she's 18 for her she doesn't they they just when they argue it's just like they don't see where they're coming from at all my parents will say Yo, this is a Nigerian house you know this is how we do things in Nigeria so we're not in Nigeria (laughs) <laughs> so and they, they said this is our culture she said I don't like that culture so I think the biggest difference I can see or the or a challenge is my for my parents to understand kind of the way that I think and for me to understand the way they think mm-hmm. and trying to just put it together I yeah. think so that's what I find is mostly the, the problem we clash on but why do you do that that's our culture but I don't understand yeah but I would say that yeah. yeah. and it's so true what you said that's why I started this dialogue in America because there's a gap in terms of parents understanding their children growing up here in America or in the diaspora or the children who don't understand some of the struggle the parents may be going through that sometimes yeah. it's anxiety of what they see outside that <laughs> sometimes may be very restrictive, but then they are not open to conversation, dialogue, mm. in listening to their children. And when yeah. I say listen, it's not just, I have to find out in how to, <laughs> from my kids, because my children, are, they're very open in talking to me and they will tell me how they feel. You know, mm-hmm. my son has told me before, he said, when he tells me, I want to talk to you, I have to listen. I have to learn to listen. And learning to listen is not giving my opinion. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You see? Do you agree with me? Yes. (laughs) Not giving my opinion. It's just to say, okay, I hear you. And the body language that I also possess at that time that is talking to me, 
or my daughter is talking to me also matters. So that's part of what I'm trying to bring out through this podcast to talk about the relationship between African immigrant parents and their children, how we could actually blend that in, even though we are so rigid in the way we were brought up. And we also have to understand what are the struggles that our children are going through and they are not growing up back home where it's a known territory for many of the parents. So we have to find a way to adjust and uh, the way we are raising our children. So thank you so much for that. You went to college in Britain, right? Yes, sir. What was your initial major? Law. Law. So are you practicing? (laughs) No. (laughs) I teach Yoruba full-time. You teach Yoruba full-time? Wow, yes. that's really interesting. That's really interesting. When you were in college, how did you navigate through social life in college? Did you struggle fitting in into the predominant culture in your college campus, especially coming from an immigrant home? Um, not so much. I think by the time I'd gotten to college, I've lived here from like primary, secondary, A-levels. So it was kind of just like my everyday, I think also because I went to a very multicultural city for for college so Manchester is there's so many black people white people Asian people so I think a lot of my friends are actually black (laughs) they were also Nigerian maybe Ghanaian it wasn't very different from my friends from college or A-levels the school is predominantly all other people of color as well yeah to some extent there was a lot of white people but it was so multicultural that you could find your people uh, easily but did you also integrate into the white environment within the school? Um, yeah, so some of, two of my roommates were, well, a lot of my roommates were, none of them were black. Okay. Um, but there was two that I was close to, and they were white. And we got on really well as well. And I didn't really feel different. It was just like, you know, just who you make friends with and who you gravitate yes, towards. Yes, yes. They were very lovely. And we never felt, in fact, one of the Asian roommates that we had used to make meals for us. Mm-hmm. So the whole house, there was eight of us in the apartment. She yes. would make like an Asian meal, make us sushi, things we'd never <laughs> tried before. Yes. And then the, the white one would make a roast dinner. You know, I would bring jello fries. So we were oh, very wow. kind of open to learning about each other. It was that's, nice. That's really nice. And that's what I'm talking about. And that's great because even with your specialty now in teaching Yoruba, you might be surprised of finding some even white people interested in learning Yoruba. Some Asian people interested in learning Yoruba because the world is now global. So that is great. And that shows that you could connect with anybody from any background. That's great. So now let's dive into your Yoruba lesson. So what prompts you your interest in teaching Yoruba language and culture? I would say culture because Yoruba is a language. We cannot separate the language from the culture. They are all the same. So how did you come about with your interest in that field? So it's very random because if you told me I'd be teaching Yoruba, I'd have told you how. So in, let's say maybe 2017, Uh I just made a video. I had a YouTube anyway, but it was just about everyday life. Mm -hmm. So I just made like a video, mostly for my friends that were Yoruba but couldn't speak, just saying basic stuff like, you know, Balani, Mm -hmm. just the basics. I just put it on my channel and continued making the different kind of content I was making. And my channel was like in 700 subscribers. And I noticed that it was just growing and it was like 800, 900, 1,000 and it was because of this Yoruba video. Yeah. I was like, why are people watching this? I didn't pay any attention. So when it was like maybe 900, I said, okay, let me put out episode two. 
Mm-hmm. And then I noticed not only were people watching and subscribing to the channel because of those videos, they started emailing me and saying, do I do one-on-one lessons? Wow. So back then I was actually working in an office. I worked in compliance. So I would just do some maybe after work, maybe three people mm-hmm. for my weekends. It was nothing big. Yeah. So when I went to law school and came back, but then I had like a good amount of students, maybe 20, 20 something. When I came back, before I could get like another law job and go into the law field properly, yeah. now that I'm qualified, pandemic started. Okay. And so many people were at home and wanted to learn Yoruba. So <laughs> now I had so many students. It was full time that I didn't even, there was no need to look for another job because I yeah. wouldn't have time. Yeah. I was teaching every single day. And then from there, it became my full time job. And I, not change wow. things. <laughs> wow. You see what the pandemic, I believe many people changed their career as a result mm. of this pandemic because people were at home and that actually kept you engaged in terms mm-hmm. of creating your own venue. And, you know, sometimes they, bad things happen, but <laughs> good things come out of it. So how diversify are your students? Actually, funny enough, most of them are in America. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so mostly Americans, my audience generally is, is mostly Americans. There are people who their parents didn't teach them, so they want to learn now that they're older, their mm-hmm. children, there are people who married into the Yoruba culture, yeah. mostly women, but there are some men who married a Yoruba woman they want to mm-hmm. learn. Mm-hmm. There are African-Americans who did a DNA test, found out that they had Nigerian yeah. heritage, yeah. they want to learn the language. I have quite a lot of them. There's white people dating or having friends that are black or yeah. Yoruba and they want to yeah. communicate with them. Everyone. <laughs> oh my God. Everyone. You already initiate your career and I know you're going to grow into this a lot it was by accident that i came across you and i said (laughs) she's and you're so patient you know it's like you Mm -hmm. have that talent in you (laughs) that that you didn't realize it you know before you went into law school and all that stuff so i'm really glad and i'm happy to see that that you are doing that even me with my children here I, i wasn't speaking yoruba to them Mm-hmm. So mostly English. The only thing is the food, the culture that I brought in. My son mm-hmm. would greet me. We say, actually, they don't call me mommy. So <laughs> my son actually asked me, what do you call mother in Yoruba? And I didn't want to say mommy because it <laughs> ends up to be mommy yeah. with the American accent. So I have to say yummy. Mm-hmm. So till today, they both call me yummy. <laughs> and all their friends also mm-hmm. call me yummy. so i'm gonna show your video to my son (laughs) and my daughter too they might be students as time goes on when they have to pay for their own lessons (laughs) so you're doing a good job and i'm so proud of what you're doing because like i said you are teaching the adults parents and those who came from the generation women may be born in the 50s 60s and whereby the english language was carried as if it's something so important that we have to speak it so perfectly even to the extent without an accent we embrace the british culture the european culture as a result of the brainwashing that they did during colonization and you have to look at the educational system is all in english you know, <laughs> so that, that's the sad part of what is going on. So how would you advise African parents who are in the diaspora in terms of teaching their children the culture and the language? I would say start young because the less you have to think about it, a lot of things people keep saying is they're, they're not confident, they're conscious. 
Mm-hmm. And I think children are less self-conscious than adults are. Yeah. So if they start young, they're not going to be, or people are going to laugh at me. They'll just speak freely. And I think our children actually absorb languages quicker than adults do. Yeah. But also just making it a part of everyday life. So I myself don't really know why I'm able to speak because like my older brother and my younger sister theirs is just okay so I think it's because like I used to watch Hollywood movies when my parents spoke to me I would respond back so even if it's something little as when you want to say take you don't say mommy take like mommy egba just something little or when you say to them make them respond it back to you so if you say they'll say back or something like that that way it's just even if it's little they get comfortable confident a lot of people they actually know the words to say but they're not confident to say it and because they don't practice it becomes a big thing i can't speak yoruba whereas they can so i think encouraging them to speak it not just to listen is is really the best method and I'm glad you also impose you included in your teaching the dynamics of respecting the elders how do you address an older person compared to a younger person? You know, yeah. so that part of the culture, I really appreciate. So, and I also understand that you also include some tradition. What are the, that area? <laughs> I really love Nigeria, like Yoruba tradition and culture. Mm-hmm. And even me, I'm always trying to learn more and more about it. I'm always like, daddy, tell me more. Because my dad is very, like a very Yoruba man. But I think just kind of, seeing from my family um movies anytime i learn something i try and also tell the people that are watching something because i think our tradition is very important and if we don't learn it from the older generation it may just end with them so as much as i can learn or understand i'm always asking why do we do this what do you do when you're getting married what do you have to bring when you're doing naming ceremony all that kind of stuff we shouldn't lose it yeah we can because it's so rich yeah, <laughs> uh, my children been born here. Both of them, they had the traditional bath because I found somebody who could give them the traditional bath of you know the sponge, the palm oil, and everything that they have to do traditionally. And I'm glad you were talking about you being roommates with other people from different culture. If you look at your Asian friends, they are very rich. They really appreciate their culture, and the way they relate to their elders is different is more in a respectful manner. Because one thing that I've seen with a lot of our children in the diaspora, they're losing the sense of that respect, whereby they want to call the adult by their first name. <laughs> For <Yeah>. me, even <laughs> this podcast, I have to tell some of them, listen, address me by Mrs. Somebody. That's the essence of culture. And if you look at the European culture, that's why they address somebody by Mr. or Miss Somebody. You know, exactly. it's a liberal set of people who are now in the position whereby they want to impose other value on other people. And then a lot of our children take it. I want to ask you, which wasn't part of my question anyway. What do you think about people who are always fighting for Cultural appropriation. <laughs> Those are the new set of people who are actually yeah. talking about cultural appropriation. You yourself, you are not really appropriating anything right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting because are we gatekeeping or are we genuinely concerned? It's always a bit of a sticky one. I like when people take an interest in like my culture. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's done respectfully, like genuinely, if someone does make a mistake, I think we can correct in love. There's grace. We can just say, you know, 
in my culture, that's sacred. So I would, I would appreciate if, you know, maybe this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. There's no point fighting people for, like, even the hair we're wearing is not, is not ours. So no one is coming to say, you know, this. I think there's grace and I think there's room for, like, Asian people, I think they take their culture very seriously. So mm-hmm. if you do something wrong, they're happy to tell you, but never with um, bad intent. I think grace is important. Mm-hmm. So if you think, you know, this is really important to me for my culture, I don't like the way this person is, mm-hmm. you know, saying that this is not cornrows or shukui, it's updo, ponytail, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. You to just let people know this is shukui in my culture. You know? mm-hmm. Or this is, mm-hmm. I don't know, abitiaja, or this is. Just to yes. educate people is better than telling them, your culture appropriating, don't wear that. Use that opportunity to educate them. You know, you know, in Nigeria, this is originated from, and I think that's a better approach than just telling them, you know, you're not allowed to wear braids because, you know. And, uh, to me, that is so sad. Like I said, this bunch of new generation wants to be a cultural gatekeeper on the internet and ask them questions really deeply about their culture. They can't really answer it. And even traditionally back home, when you see many people came to different parts of Africa, especially the Europeans, the British who came to Nigeria, who are white, some of them were speaking Yoruba. Some of Mm -hmm. them were actually speaking Igbo. They speak Hausa because they know they have to relate to the local people. And some of them, you see the old picture where they wore the traditional attire. I remember Mm -hmm. when my son in the school where he went to, his first year in that school, when he was very young in third grade, a woman, a white woman approached me and she said, you know, I was born in Nigeria. I was born in the Badon. It's as if I saw a sister and we embrace each other. She said, my name is Kokumbo. According to how we do, you know, culturally, it doesn't matter who comes in, as long as they embrace it, and they appreciate it. Culture is not meant for only you. Some other people might appreciate it. Just the same way you take up on European culture in the way you set table and put a knife and the fork and all kinds of stuff, yeah. <laughs> you know, on the table <laughs> when you want to eat. So it's all part yeah. of the same thing. And I really appreciate you coming into that to explain that. So would you say your parents influence your love and appreciation for Yoruba language and culture? Because I want you to tell the audience <laughs> yes they did i think made it especially my dad so whenever my dad is like advising you about life or anything he'll put a proverb you know no matter what the situation he'll find a yoruba proverb that will apply to that situation mm-hmm. you know and just understanding the depth of the language really makes me want to learn more about it so like something that you can't just say in an english sentence when you say one yoruba phrase it really goes deep you're just so deep <laughs> and there's layers you can look at it from different directions yes. so I think that made me I want to know more about not just the language but the culture that inspires the language because mm-hmm. a lot of our language is based on how we are as people how generous we are how open we are how intelligent we are so I think yes. especially my dad speaking Yoruba to me um, and with, with the the proverbs uh, it just made me want to learn more, hundred <laughs> percent. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That proverb is so important, and you are so right in the way because we don't appreciate our culture. Because, like I said, growing up, even when I was growing up in Nigeria, when I was in high school, you can't even speak Yoruba, you can't speak Igbo. Mm-hmm. It would say, "Don't speak vernacular." 
Yeah. They embrace so much of European language to the extent if you pick up, even till today, you pick up a book written by a Nigerian who is in, in academia, whatever you want to call them in the teaching in university, make sure you have a dictionary, okay, on the side, Oxford Dictionary to diagnose what they are trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to him coming here in America, I pick up a book written by a medical doctor who is trying to communicate with the masses. You easily understand what they are tr- trying to say, yeah. what, they are trying to, what they are explaining to you compared to picking up a book written by somebody of African descent who is colonized, mentally, emotionally colonized by <laughs> European culture. And this is part of where all this, the lack of embracement of our culture comes in and we have to do, mm-hmm. we have to change. And I'm so glad the younger generation are doing that. You guys are doing that. I'm so happy. That's why when I saw your, <laughs> <laughs> you on YouTube, I said, no, I have to contact this young lady because I'm, I, I couldn't even, I keep looking at the videos. I, I keep looking at everything. And you so right. The, even the name in itself has some deep meaning. Mm-hmm. Naming a child traditionally has a deep meaning into mm-hmm. it until when Christianity and Islam came. Everybody now bears names that come from another tradition. You know, it mm-hmm. has to be your first name, then your middle name then becomes Yoruba or Igbo. Mm-hmm. The last name you pick up from your family heritage. Even when I was in school, I have so many of my classmates whereby they have British last name. Really? Oh, yes. When I was in school in Nigeria, her friends, you know, schoolmates whose last name are Beecroft, Davis. Oh, yeah. I used to wonder about that, or like Williams. And yes. I wonder, like, how come in, like, in Nigeria, people's yeah. last names are, I, I didn't understand it. But I, you know, I heard it was about the colonization. Yes, I think most of the people maybe changed their name as a result of Christianity. They were being forced yeah. to change their name in order to adopt them into the religion. The same thing goes for many of Africans who bear Mohammed, the Islamic name from different areas, whereby it's not actually their traditional name, and they adapt to those names anyway. And then you have those Africans who came back from Brazil. In Lagos, you find the name of Fernandez. They Mm -hmm. came back from Brazil and all these places and claimed their origin again, but they kept the name that is being changed through the European uh, kidnapping of African people anyway. <laughs> you know. so I'm really glad that you are into all that. So would you tell our audience how the courses and teaching are designed, such as the beginner, the intermediary, and the advanced, and give an example of each one? Yeah, so my syllabus kind of, I like to treat Yoruba as a language in its own right. So what I notice is like when we want to learn English or I'm learning French as well, we listen to all the French rules, all the English rules. You know, they we we respect their rules, we respect mm-hmm. their grammar. Mm-hmm. But it, with Yoruba, it's like, well, this is how you say this. This is how you say that. So I'm very big on understanding the Yoruba grammar, the Yoruba rules. Why do we say je? and gel to different, two different eat. Mm-hmm. Why do we say that not say? I really think we really should also give Yoruba the respect of it's its own life. It's very intricate. Yoruba is a complex, very intelligent language. Yes. And so, <laughs> and people don't realize, they're just, oh, it's just a language. No, mm-hmm. the detail in the language is amazing. So I kind of tailor my syllabus to that. There's a the rules that we always have to learn. And then we start off with basic sentence starters. So after maybe four lessons, 
four 30 minute lessons, you'll be able to say, you know, I want to eat. I can go. I am at home. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do greetings and everyday conversations, you know, meeting people for the first time. I like to focus on connectives, tenses, negatives. Mm-hmm. It's a proper language. Let's learn it like yeah. properly. Mm-hmm. But um, when people come and they already have some knowledge, then we won't start from the beginning. I'm quite flexible. Yeah. If your main issue is speaking, maybe we'll just be having conversations and I'll design homework for you. If your main issue is putting accent marks, we can focus on that. So I'm quite flexible, but I have a syllabus that most people that, that come will start and follow through. <laughs> when are you writing your book? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> maybe soon yeah please you need to dig into it and <laughs> write the book for those i know you have a youtube channel but you have to write a book as well and uh, i think a lot of people could benefit from what you just said now in terms of understanding that yoruba is very complex it's something that everybody has to understand the rule of the language is all part of it. So I'm so proud of you for all this you are doing. So apart from teaching Yoruba, you also dive into, we talked about it a little bit before, about the culture. Can you give an example of cultural tradition you are teaching? Okay, so I think it usually depends on what people want. Mm-hmm. But let's say um, like the traditional wedding. I'm actually editing a video now about the Yoruba traditional wedding. So I went to one in June and I recorded every aspect of it. You know, the alaga, you know, when you go and ask for your bride. And I think a lot of people don't have that. So I really want to focus on, I want to explain the video bit by bit. So this is the groom's family coming to us. Like, can we come and ask for your daughter's hand in marriage? And then, you know, the before the wife can even come in. So even though traditional wedding, you've already that you're going to get married we still honor the parents and the family yes and you know you still come and ask them can i marry your daughter and then you have to prostrate you and your friends you all mm-hmm. prostrate mm-hmm. to the family it's just showing respect to the family which i think yorubas we were very big on respect and yeah. we're very big on family and i think yeah. the traditional wedding really highlights that basically mm-hmm. those two things so i yeah. think that video i'm looking forward to Okay. Doing like a blow by blow account. Are you planning on doing traditional greetings since you talk about the respect for the elders as well? And the respect goes both ways because sometimes many of our elders of our community, sometimes they don't recognize that also respect goes both ways. And it comes also from the proverbs. All work hands in hand with one another so the, a child also mm-hmm. deserves that respect so do you also do the traditional naming ceremony and all that yes i really want to do videos on that i actually write about them on my blog post but mm-hmm. i want to do videos but i want to bring my dad so we can talk about it together you know there's only so much that <laughs> i don't want to miss out details or mm-hmm. i haven't seen many naming ceremonies so i really want to do naming ceremonies like you know even the songs like i want to do all of those all that. Um, yes yes yeah yes. I, I know them but my dad or my mom, someone yeah, to help you with that. Yeah, do you, you know, I, I haven't dived into whether you are also interested in doing traditional Yoruba storytelling. Okay. I am. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about it, though. <laughs> I'm definitely interested in learning a lot of, more about it. And I think I love storytelling, mm-hmm. but I would have to, like, know more, maybe do more research on, on it. Well, I'm going to share a book with you after we finish that you could dive into. It's one of the Nigerian professors. He passed on now, 
And he married a white woman in America here, and he document all the Yoruba traditional storytelling. He jackpot yesterday, you know, and all the storytelling. So it's something that maybe you could gain from that and include that into what you're doing. So, and I know, especially what you're doing, many African-American will actually, people of African descent, I would say, maybe they are from Brazil or from Latin America, we really appreciate the idea of what you're teaching in terms of the culture in itself during the naming ceremony. <laughs> because even the wedding here, I've seen many Nigerian weddings whereby many other people come, maybe some African-Americans or other groups of diversified mm-hmm. group in America comes to the wedding. And they are so amazed. They say, wow, <laughs> because you want to marry yeah. And I said, you know, this is also telling you before invasion of European tradition and Christianity, Yoruba women were highly respected. You just don't go to anybody's house and pick up their daughter and say you want to marry them. You have to go through process. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you are not just marrying your wife. It's two family coming together. So exactly. I'm glad that you know you are doing that. I understand you're also hosting traveling group to Nigeria. Can you talk more about this? and provide information. Yeah, sure. So a lot of um, my students either they're in America or like they're maybe first gen, they always talk about Nigeria, but they don't feel comfortable or they they feel maybe scared. Maybe if you ask ask their friends, they'll say, Nigeria is dangerous. So a lot of people don't want to go by themselves, even though they really want to go. So me and my team were just like, why not organize? And I love Nigeria. (laughs) I know it's not perfect, but I love it. I enjoy it. Um, So we were like, why not host a trip for people who want to go, but Uh as a group so that they can be more safe, uh, more protected, um, and we'll just have each other and have fun. So we're we're organizing a trip to Nigeria this December for, you know, just a small group of people. Yeah, so we can go and visit all the fun things you've heard about Lagos, Mm -hmm. the Nikkei Art Gallery. There's art in Nigeria, there's culture, there's tourism, you know, the um, terror culture they put on plays, Marimi, just different kings and princesses of Yoruba culture that, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't really care about. They put on really big, elaborate plays. So it's just to go and really explore Nigeria firsthand. All the things you you like about the Nigerian culture, you can actually experience it. That's quite interesting. I'm glad. So how many have you done or this is the first time you're doing it? This will be the first one as a big group. So usually I've only gone with maybe one or two people, but now it will be a group of us. A group of you. So you talk about your team. So you're also working with other people yeah, so my Yoruba Lessons team, we've got someone who manages social media. So they're the ones that are really up on top of that. We've got someone who works with like uh, partnerships, working with brands. Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, just like a group of people that work with me uh, who help make everything run well. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm really impressed by that. You guys know how to connect with each other. And I'm glad <laughs> a lot of you are working together like that. And it, that's very important. So how can our listener also connect with you? Those who may want be interested in taking the class as well. Okay. Um, so the, the best place is uh, yorubalessons.com. Mm-hmm. It has all the information on the trip, the class. If you just want to read articles. So the naming ceremony, I have an article on there. Weddings, burial, is So uh, there's yorubalessons.com has everything. But we also have an Instagram, yoruba underscore lessons. Okay. Or you can just email me, yorubalessons at gmail.com. What about you? How do you feel about the younger generation or the first gen in the diaspora now? How do you feel about us? 
I think it's give and take between this. People like you actually embrace and empower the culture, you know. And one thing I like about this first gen, it doesn't matter whether you're Yoruba, Ibu, or Awusa, all of you kind of connect with each other. And yeah. you developing your own way of thinking, which might be challenging for many uh, us adults, you know, whoever <laughs> will feel like you want to continue to keep you where you are and said, listen, you have to follow things accordingly. And I like the fact that you're able to explore in different areas. You know, you are not afraid to explore different areas. You know, you are not afraid to gravitate towards something of your interest. You tend to go without fear. In terms of diving to something that mm. parents may say, oh my God, it's so scary. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Don't territory. We don't want to do all these things. You younger generation, be careful whereby we're trying to protect you. But I like the <laughs> fact that many of you dive into that. But I like the fact that there's collaboration among the younger generation because I see it here even in America. You have, mm. apart from even Nigeria, you have many of... Uh, young people whereby they might be from Ghana, Nigeria, Ivory Coast, they all connect together with each other and they interact and give information to one another. I like that aspect. The thing that I kind of like criticize them for <laughs> understanding also many of the struggle the adults also going through in this country because it's not something easy trying to navigate and raising the children. The same way we adults need to understand some of your struggle is also the, also the children to understand some of the adults' struggle. When you were in Nigeria, you see there's a connection. You could go and greet family. You could do this. You could do that. You could travel to Ibado from Lagos and go and greet your relatives and feel relaxed or whatever stress that you're going through will calm down. But when you are in Europe or you are in America, it's completely different. So many African immigrants living in isolation sometimes. That's why even no matter how Africa could be or Nigeria could be, people will say, I'm still going home. A lot of stress because it's to relieve the tension and say, you know, at least even though things might not be that easy when I get there, there might not be electrical power. I might face a lot of challenges, but I'm still going because I feel at home. I feel embraced. I feel empowered compared to being in this country whereby it's a sort of like loneliness, you know, for so many people. I think that is part of what a younger generation needs to understand. Yeah, that's definitely true. Because many of us, we talk about retiring back, which I always challenge many of us. (laughs) (laughs) You know, okay, let's see how long that will last. You know, in terms of returning back home, it's a good idea, but it could be challenging. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because of lack of amenities in terms of, you know, healthcare and uh, uh, that is needed in Nigeria that is not really adequate for so many people. That is the major part of issue that many people may have. And also mm-hmm. safety everywhere could be dangerous. Mm. Uh-huh. There's no place that you could say, oh, this is 100% safe. Exactly. If anything happens, how can you get uh, the necessary help that you need in terms of yeah. all, you know, So that's uh, part of until 
when things start changing, maybe it will be different. <laughs> I think the help is the main thing because if something happens, can you trust the police? Mm. Mm-hmm. Can you go to the hospital? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the firefighter are they really active? I don't know. So I think that's it, the biggest know. concern. Yeah, mm. Nigerians love their country. Many Africans they love their countries. And that's why you see many go back home all the time. And many people will save their money thinking that I'm going to go back home, establish something, and that's where I'm going to retire. Then they end up going, then they find out that the environment is not really geared towards most of their needs. Especially if you've lived a long time here, and you know, it's a culture shock. You to see? just have the your life is it, the simplicity and simpleness of life, you know, in the diaspora is very different to Nigeria. Nigeria is very you know, work yeah. hard, struggle, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, tiredness. So it's a very big difference. And if you're not prepared, you'll run back. <laughs> yeah, I've had many of uh, Nigerians who have been here even before independence of Nigeria. They've mm. been abroad and they go back every year, but they can't leave there. Mm-hmm. There's some who go there and they go and teach in university to give their time. Maybe they are medical doctor and they go back there to help other medical doctors in Nigeria to do training and all that stuff. But it's not a place where they could live because even living there, moving out of Nigeria for so long, mm-hmm. sometimes you cannot even connect with your friends that you left back home. The way you see things, the way you relate to each other will be different compared yes. to those who have been there for so long. So, but people still go back from time to time. What is your parents? What do they say about what you're doing now? What is their <laughs> comment? How proud are they about what you are doing now? Even though they, oh my God, we send we send blessing to medical school. <laughs> we send exactly. that to law school. <laughs> now, especially you know, you know they want to brag. Uh-huh. What's their comment? Yeah. So in the beginning, because you know law school, my dad wants to come. She's a lawyer, and so when I first started, often they would ask me, "Okay, so when are you going to get a job?" And I'll say, "This is a job. This is my job." But now they yeah, they'll say, "So don't do you want a job?" I said, "This is my job. I like it." But now they're very proud. And I think because like God has been very faithful and I've been blessed with, with the work, you know, I, yeah. I make a good living from it. So it's not like I'm struggling or yeah. so I think now they're very proud and they now show people my YouTube or they'll share their friends, my website yeah. and say, oh, Ibuku made this. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. And <laughs> so you I'm continue to expand. Yeah, you Amen. continue to expand. Yeah, so that's the proud moment of it. You continue to expand because many people will find out about you and they will subscribe to your lesson because you are so patient in terms of how you teach him. You explain everything to the fullest for people to understand. So that's a plus on that side. That's a plus. Have you come across any one of our young other Nigerian children who are maybe doing the same thing? Have you come across? Yeah, so maybe people slightly older than me, but I noticed that now there's a very big, a lot of people are becoming teachers because I think they notice there's a big market for it. Um, there's so many people who want to learn, so one person can't do it all. I've not seen people my, maybe my age, but yeah. people just a bit older. There's quite a lot of them now. Oh, who are doing it? Okay. Well, I'm really impressed. Thank you so much. Pansa Pansa continue to normalize conversation about the importance of community engagement. 
about embracing our traditional language and culture. As I always say, as we publicly continue to discuss difficult issues within our community, we are shredding away stigma associated with uncomfortable dialogue. So thank you so much, Blessing Kayode, for coming to Pansa Pansa and for continuing to embrace our culture and our tradition. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Ponza Ponza Live Podcast. We hope to have you back with us in the next episode as we continue to explore the nuances of the African immigrant experience. If you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at talk at ponsaponsa.org. That is T-A-L-K at P-A-N-S-A, P-A-N-S-A dot org. And follow us on Instagram at ponsa.ponsaforum. Until next time, remember to spread kindness and love. Thank you and take care of yourselves.